coming up. How do you know when someone at home has an addiction? And how can you help this person recover from it? Welcome, everybody, to At Home in Jerusalem, the podcast on Aish.com. I'm Heather Dean, and this is the place where each week a well-known scholar drops by for a visit and shares important insights from the Torah that will make home life better. And this week, I'm joined by my guest, Dr. Jacob Friedman, at the worldwide headquarters of Aish HaTorah in Jerusalem, Israel. And we will be talking about signs that someone at home has an addiction and how to help them begin their recovery process. Dr. Jacob Friedman is a psychiatrist who writes a popular weekly column for Mishpacha magazine called Off the Couch. And his goal is to promote awareness of mental illness and help families get the support they need. If you are interested in contacting Dr. Friedman, you may do so through his website, which is drjacoblfriedman.com. That's D-R-J-A-C-O-B-L-F-R-E-E. DMAN.com. Welcome, Dr. Jacob Friedman, to At Home in Jerusalem. Heather, thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So, when a family member at home is an addict, how does it affect the rest of the family? Uh, we have to kind of think about addiction as less of a mental illness or a diagnosis and more uh, as a wildfire or a natural disaster because unfortunately uh, the ripples of addiction don't just affect the individual themselves they really spread on to each person that's connected to them parents children siblings cousins grandparents neighbors unfortunately addiction is very very serious and can have wide-ranging effects on all the people involved mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are the warning signs that a family member might notice uh, that their loved one is an addict? So uh, most of the time we think about a change in behavior uh, due to a substance of abuse. So specifically we're thinking about uh, deviance in substance abuse. So a person is perhaps having an extra drink at the table when everybody else had one beer, they're having two, three, or four. And we're thinking about dysfunction. Uh, A lot of people have one drink or two drinks a day and uh, that can be normal uh, if that's what's culturally appropriate. But for an individual... Uh, that is having two, three, four drinks and is not available to go to work in the morning, is not available to pick up the kids, is missing out on their uh, responsibilities, Mm -hmm. that's when we start to call this a problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what if someone is doing it in secret, if they don't have those beers right at the, or the drinks or whatever, if they're... So so, uh, this is one of the things that makes diagnosing uh, addictions quite difficult, and oftentimes we don't see uh, patients with addiction problems until long after there's become significant Mm -hmm. dysfunction. Mm -hmm. A person who's uh, taking pills in the bathroom, who's having an extra drink when everybody else in the house is asleep, uh, we only start to know it when they're not waking up in time in the morning to go to work, to take the kids to school, uh, things of that sort. Right, right. You know, I'm wondering, is it a fact or is it a myth that you can't force someone into treatment? They have to want help. So this is a really interesting question. Uh, I think that uh, certainly people have to be motivated uh, to get the help that they need or they'll fight it hard. Uh, I can always remember a famous story that happened to me early in my career when we had a fellow who was a Vietnam veteran 
came into the detox center maybe for the 57th time uh, in the past wow. two wow. or three decades. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, 57th, and I think it was actually 59th by the time I was done with uh, my intern year. Uh, this fellow came in. He was on the liver transplant list because he'd been drinking himself into cirrhosis. Uh, he had lost his license because of two or three DUIs, been kicked out of his house uh, because of... Uh, the sure, ruckus he's created sure, and uh, had lost his second wife, uh, was without work. And I remember saying to this fellow, uh, you know, sir, you're on the liver list uh, to get a transplant. And he responded, yep, there's great doctors in Boston. Oh, my goodness. I said wow. to him, wow. mm -hmm. you've mm -hmm. lost your second wife because of your drinking. He said, there's always a, a third lucky lady out there. Mm -hmm. I said mm -hmm. to him, you've been kicked out of your house and you've lost work. And he says, I got a good cousin who's willing to put me up. And it went through that detox and another and another until the last time he came in, his sponsor followed a, a day or two later and told him that his dog had run away. Hmm. And he said, oh, my God, my dog ran away. I really have a problem. I need some help, oh, Dr. Friedman. Right. So mm -hmm. I was so impressed, and I'll always remember this story, because it wasn't uh, the question of him having lost his license, uh, getting ready to lose his liver, uh, lost his job, his wife, his house. But when he lost his dog, then he had a problem, and he was wow. ready to find wow. sobriety. So that was his rock bottom. Mm -hmm. So there's a concept called motivational interviewing, which is an idea uh, in the treatment of substance abuse where we have to help our patients find their own motivation. We might have our mm -hmm. own reasons that somebody need help, mm -hmm. but we have to help our patients, our family members, our loved ones to find their own reasons for getting help. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's an incredible insight. It is worth saying yeah. also that there is uh, mandated treatment in some states and uh the United States. So specifically in Massachusetts, there's what's called a Section 35. So if somebody is using substances to their detriment and is uh, in physical danger or in other serious mm -hmm. danger of ruining their life, mm -hmm. that a family member or a, a loved one or a treatment provider can actually go to the local courthouse and fill out paperwork, mm. uh, at which point the judge will review the case and can mandate treatment uh, for an mm -hmm. individual with mm -hmm. serious substance abuse. Right. So again, those laws are different state by state, country by yeah. country, but it's worth uh, looking into that if that's something that is relevant. I hear sometimes, um, you know, for the past couple of decades, uh, a different kind of rock bottom, it's uh, actually a bit trendy, is the intervention. I'm wondering if you could describe to listeners who may not know what that is, what an intervention is, and in your opinion, if you find those are successful, what your opinion is of those? So it depends on, again, how motivated the individual is uh, to find treatment or to accept that there's a need for treatment. Uh, if they're not motivated, you're going to need a really, really big guy to stand at the door to prevent them from bolting. Uh, if they are motivated, uh, you might be able to make it happen a bit easier. I think that uh, the advantages of an intervention are having all of the loved ones and relevant parties available to tell uh, the individual how uh, important uh, their sobriety is for the family mm -hmm. and that having uh, 
again, a substance abuse problem, has wide-ranging effects. When everybody's in the room to be very clear about what's going on, it can uh, help a person to find the motivation. In the same sense, though, sometimes those confrontations can lead to difficult mm -hmm. things, yes. specifically when uh, the affected individual is actually under the influence at that time. Wow. wow. Uh, and what could happen in your experience? Uh, broken stuff. Wow. Body parts, broken body parts, heaven forbid. Right, right. Just being honest. Oh, okay. Well, honesty is very, very important. I'm also wondering from your experience, what are the most successful ways or methods to help a loved one begin their recovery process? Absolutely. So uh, I'm a big believer in concrete steps. So, for example, uh, this fellow that we talked about a little while ago uh, wasn't willing to go ahead and to do a 90-day rehab program, but he was willing to cut out his uh, before-breakfast eye-opener. So he said, I ain't going to drink in the morning, Dr. Friedman. That I can commit to. And I thought that that was a very good goal, but I wanted to be even more concrete with him and to set him achievable goals. Because, mm -hmm, again, mm -hmm. this was a fellow who was in his 59th detox in a couple of decades. So I said to him, you know what, if you can just go ahead and not have an eye-opener for three straight days, that would be fantastic. And then let me know how you're doing on day number three. Did you make it? And from that point, we were able to add on more things. He was able to go to morning AA meetings. Uh, he was able to go ahead and to take a medication that would uh, decrease his cravings. He was able to engage in a program, but it was one that was on his terms. Because I think that forcing folks to do programs uh, when they're not motivated uh, can go ahead and lead to both necessary and unnecessary conflicts. Wow. Wow. Uh, I know there are going to be listeners who want to know whatever happened to Mr. 5759. So. Yeah, so uh, again, I'm no longer in the States, but I checked back in and over the course of my four years of training, uh, he didn't come back except once uh, to okay. visit a friend of his hmm. uh, who was in detox and to try and provide him with the support wow. that had been tremendously helpful for him wow. during his own stays. Okay, so we can end on a pretty good note there. Just want to thank you so much for speaking with us today about When Addiction Hits Home, Dr. Jacob Friedman. Mom, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And there are many excellent articles about families and addiction on H.com, so check them out. And thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.